0: Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault. This is episode 28. We are continuing the discussion on biblical covenants, why they're so important, why Christians should know what they are, and today we'll be talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Before we do, just a reminder that this show does not come for free to us, me and my producer, Mark. Um, who does a great job uploading these every week. They take a good amount of money to pay for the hosting and the website and all that stuff. So if you want to help out with the costs of this show to keep it coming, to help us keep putting some more truth creatively out into the world, head over to patreon.com slash patreo p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com my name. And uh, you can support us for as little as $1 a month which would make a huge difference to us if a bunch of you did that. So there's that. And before we get into uh, covenants, I want to do a quick one-minute media talk. Media talk. This one is actually a review of a different podcast. Um, I doubt many of you have heard of it. It's called Imaginary Advice. I recommend checking out um, episode fifty six, which is called Horse Facts, and it is one of the greatest like half hour pieces of audio I've ever heard. Um, it might, it's it's very strange. Like my my taste in creative um, expression can be pretty strange. So if you have a similar weird, eerie, creepy, almost taste in media, then you'll love it. I loved it. Especially the one when he's the part where he's talking about his dream and how he's walking down the street, goes into a bank, and the twist at the, at the end made me laugh out loud for a long time in my car because I did not see it coming at all. And it was hilarious. It's this great twist of comedy and creepiness and eeriness. And it starts off like literally just listing facts about horses or sayings about horses, like get back on the horse, you know? And it's so great. Anyway, just check out Imaginary Advice's episode, Horse Facts. They have a bunch of other great episodes, too. I've only heard a couple of the others. I've liked most of the others I've heard. They're very creative. For instance, one, I think it's called an old-timey boxing story or something like that. And he decides that he's going to beat this boxer. And the way that he's going to beat the boxer is by buying a time machine going back in time, scaring the kid so badly that when he sees his face again as an adult, he just freezes up in the boxing ring. (laughs) So it's super weird and hilarious like that. Um, Anyway, check it out, Imaginary Advice, the podcast. That's it for today's Media Talk. All right, let's get into Genesis and look at this uh, covenant if- you did not hear the previous episode on covenants, then this one won't make much sense. So definitely go back and listen to the first episode of covenants, which will tell you what they are, why they're important, how they are the backbone of the Bible. Last time we talked about Noah. This is just three chapters later. Um, We're looking at Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram. That's what the heading in my Bible calls it. So let's just look, focus on the first three verses. We're going to do a little dancing around across chapters this time. I told you this one will be a little more complex than Noah's, which is all self-contained in one chapter for the most part. This one bounces around from chapters 12 to 17. Um, The covenant just kind of keeps resurfacing. So Uh, The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran the word of the Lord. So that's chapter or that's chapter 12, verse uh, 1 through 4. So the Lord says to Abram, leave your country. This dude's 75. He's lived in the same place for 75 years. I don't know if any of you are 75 years old and if you've lived in the exact same place for 75 years, but that's a long time to live in the same place. And this is without, obviously, I don't need to say this, but without internet Phone, knowing what else is out there beyond the horizon, and so on. And Abram, this is why he's called a man of faith, the, like the father of the faith, because he just trusts God and goes exactly where God tells him to. He trusted God. Uh, I gave this message this past Sunday at a church, and someone asked me afterward, um, Why did God choose Abram? And I said, That's a really good question. I'll give you two and a half answers that I think uh, come to mind. One, God loves the underdog. God loves the people that you don't expect to win or to come out on top, and he chooses them specifically to make himself, to make God's self greater, right? Because if God had chosen some young buck who was super strong or a king or a powerful ruler and said, you will be my chosen people, then you know, the rest of the world would look at that and be like, oh, that's not that impressive because that dude was already young and strong and already had a great nation. Instead, he chooses this dude who lives in the middle of nowhere. He's 75 without any kids. He's old, far past childbearing age, and he thinks his line is about to wither up and die when he does. And God chooses him because, you know, Paul says later on, God has chosen the foolish things or the weak things in the world uh, to bring shame to the strong things, right? Because if God chose simply always the strong people, it wouldn't really be that impressive, and it wouldn't really show that this could only have happened if God were in it, right? So that's one answer. The second one, I think, is just because Abram had faith. He trusted God. God said, go, and Abram went. So, because God saw that faith in Abram, he chose him then to be the foundation of his nation, right? The nation foundation. And the half answer is just that God chooses whoever he wants. God chooses, God's will is bigger and uh, f- farther beyond our comprehension than we even know, and God simply chose to choose Abram. Um, Okay, moving on. Also, I will get to why his name changes from Abram to Abraham, or Abraham, and we'll get to that in a couple minutes. So, God lays out this blessing. This is what's called a unilateral blessing. One-way covenant. God lays out this unilateral covenant, meaning it's a one-way covenant. Abram does not have to do anything to uphold his end of the covenant. You see, God doesn't say, I'll make you into a great nation if this, this, this. He doesn't say, I'll make you into a great nation as long as you do this. He just says, this is what I'm going to do, period. End of story. Unilateral covenant. It's a one-way covenant. Um, This will be important when we get to chapter 15. But the, the cool things about this, not only does God promise to make him a great nation and to bless him, But he says, all people on earth will be blessed through you, right? Now, did Abram himself bless all people on earth? No, he didn't. Um, He didn't even know most of the earth existed. (laughs) And so, who's that referring to? It's basically saying that through your line, all people on earth will be blessed. And who do we know comes from the line of Abram? Jesus. Many, many, many generations later, Jesus comes from the line of Abram, and through Jesus, all people on earth are blessed. So when Abram is promised that all people on earth will will be blessed through him, it's really referring to Jesus. We see Jesus show up again and again throughout these covenants. We see, like, flashes of him as these covenants uh, roll out throughout the Bible and unfold. Now, Abram and his wife, Sarai, are not perfectly faithful throughout this entire narrative. And I don't want to get too sidetracked in uh, the whole story with Hagar and Ishmael. and you know, you have like the son of the flesh and the son of the promise, Ishmael versus Isaac and all that. Um, I wanted to try to focus on the main covenant, but there is this tension that we see where Abram and Sarah are like, yeah, we're not getting any younger God. We're 80, We're 90 years old. We still don't have a son. Abram should sleep with the slave girl, you know, and uh, and they kind of doubt God and try to come up with a son their own way, rather than trusting that God actually will be good on his promise. But we come to chapter 15, and the heading of this one is called God's Covenant with Abram. So God is very specific, again, about making this covenant with Abram. So I'm going to read starting in verse 2. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? See how Abram is kind of like going back and forth. He's kind of wishy-washy and doubtful. So even though he's called the father of the faith, He still seems to be pretty, uh, doubt-ridden. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. And then he lists a bunch of cities and people groups that we won't go through. So that was a long chunk of scripture. Let's talk about it for a second. When I teach this, I've done this twice in youth groups, which is super fun. I always get a stuffed animal and a knife or a saw, and I say, "All right, I need a volunteer." And usually, a a boy comes up, and I tell him, "All right, what you're gonna do? You're gonna saw this animal in half from head to toe, head to tail. Saw it in half." I did this this past Sunday, and the kid like started cutting through the spine of the animal, the stuffed animal. And he's like, is that good? I'm like, no, you have to cut it all the way in half. And so he's like, okay. And everyone's freaking out. All the kids are like crying and they're like, this is wrong. What are you doing? And then we, we take the halves of the animal and kind of set them apart across from each other, like five feet apart maybe. And then I explain this. If I was a king and you were a king and we're making a covenant together, what we would do is we would take this slaughtered animal and we would walk through it and we would declare the blessings and the curses, the vows, remember from last time, the vows of our covenant. For instance, two kings might say something like, all of my cattle can graze on your land and you won't harm them. And all of your cattle can graze on my land and we won't harm them. And you would literally pass through this divided animal, and the idea being that if I break my covenant, may I be like this animal. You'd walk around the animal, and you would go through a second time. This time, you'd say, but if you do kill my cattle, then we get to attack you with the force of 10,000 armies, and if you attack my cattle we will also get to attack you, or, you know, whatever. So you declare the blessings, and you declare the curses of what will happen if this covenant gets broken. And you walk through it, and the blood, again, shows the seriousness of the covenant that you're making. So I would do this to help understand this, and then, this is where it gets even more interesting. Where else do we see this kind of action happening when a covenant is made? For instance... Um, it's helpful to know that the word berit is the Hebrew word for covenant, and that also means to cut. So if you're making a covenant, you're cutting. You would say you cut a covenant. You don't necessarily make a covenant. You cut a covenant. So we talked about last time how every single covenant, including marriage, has bloodshed in it. Um, But it's it's also this specific action of, like, cutting and passing through something. So... We're going to get to this in the future, but when the Israelites leave Egypt, when the Israelites leave Egypt, what do they do? They come to the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, and what happens to it? God cuts the sea in half, and what do they do? They pass through the two halves of the water, right? They pass through this divided thing. And then what happens when they get to the other side? God makes a new covenant with Moses and gives them the law that they need to follow, right? That covenant is not a unilateral covenant. There's 613 laws for them to follow. So it's very much not a unilateral covenant. So they are the ones passing through the sea. Again, let's look at marriage. What happens traditionally, maybe not always, but traditionally At a wedding, you have the bride's family sitting on one side, you have the groom's family sitting on the other side, the groom walks up alone, the bride later will walk up with her father usually or something, and then at the end of the ceremony, what do they do? They pass through the two halves of the family, the bride's side and the groom's side. They pass through it Together. Why? Because they have just made a covenant together and they're together walking through these two halves. Does that make sense? I bet you never knew why that um, was like the tradition, but that's exactly where that tradition comes from. It's rooted deeply in this idea of covenant. So with Abram, the exact same thing happens. Uh, Abram is the one who takes the animals, slaughters them, cuts them in half down the spine, sets the two halves opposite each other. And so these like nasty, bloody animal carcasses are just lying there. So he he's very familiar at this point with what's happening. He's like, okay, uh covenant's about to happen, right? Something's about to go down. And um, so I'm ready for it, you know? He's ready. He knows what's, he's not... fool. He knows exactly what's about to come. But what does God do? God, it says, puts him in kind of a haze, like a trance kind of. So he kind of like slumps down to the side and then he sees this fire come and the fire passes through the animal carcasses. Okay. The fire is a symbol of God. This happens all throughout the Bible. God showing up as with fire as a symbol for him. So this blazing torch passes through the carcasses alone. Why would it pass through alone without Abram? Because it's a unilateral covenant. God is making a promise to Abram. He's saying, you don't have to pass through the animals. I will pass through the animals alone because I'm making a promise to you. So to Abram and to everybody reading this, they would have understood, okay, God made a promise to Abram And it's not just a promise, it's a covenant made with blood that God alone passed through. And then God kind of gives a couple prophecies about what will happen with Abram's people in the future. They'll be strangers in a foreign country, not their own, for 400 years. That's a clear reference to Egypt, because they were enslaved and mistreated. But God will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possession. So again, we ask the question... Why would, why would we sing, for instance, the song in Sunday school like, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. You know. So why would you want to be a child of Abraham? Why is he held up as the father in the Bible that we all kind of want to be descendants of? This is the reason we want to be a part of this covenant, because who wouldn't want to receive that blessing he got in chapter 12? where everyone who blesses us will be blessed. Everyone who curses us will be cursed. So all our friends will enjoy prosperity with us. All our enemies will be uh, mocked and put to shame, right? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to flourish and be a great nation? Um, So when the Israelites talked about being a child of Abraham, they're talking about inheriting this blessing participating in this covenant God made with Abram. If you're a child of Abraham, you receive blessing. Make sense? Uh, Later, we can flip over to Galatians 3 and 5, where Paul mentions Abraham and says, um, anyone who has faith in Jesus now is a child of Abraham. Your biological descent from the Jewish people doesn't matter as much as your faith in Jesus does. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you enter into this covenant, you enter into this blessing from Genesis 12 through faith in Jesus Christ, not through blood descent from Abraham. Does that make sense? So, so far, we have the bloodshed. Abraham cuts the animals in half and lays the halves apart from each other. We have the blessings and curses. In this case, there are only blessings, no curses. Uh, God will bless Abraham. And now we're moving into the sign, seal, and symbol. And this one's super interesting. So you jump ahead two more chapters, chapter 17. And the heading of this one is the covenant of circumcision, which is really just a a continuation of the previous covenant in chapter 15. So now Abraham is 99 years old. If you're keeping track, that's 24 years after he first received this promise of a child. So think for a second... If, you, if someone promised you something and then didn't come through on their promise for 24 years, how do you think you would feel? Would you have started to doubt? Would you have given up hope in that promise? Would you be like, all right, any day now, God. Um, and obviously in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, we saw that Abraham did try to cheat. They, he kind of did give up waiting and he slept with Hagar, his servant girl. But for whatever reason, God still says, you know, um, it's okay, you're still going to receive this covenant, despite the fact that you kind of screwed up majorly and essentially raped the slave girl. So in chapter 17, God comes to him in verse 4 and says, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be, will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, da, 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 really kind of repeats the same thing, father of many nations. Um, and then he comes to Sarai, and he says, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah." So let's talk about that name change for a second. First off, where else do we see covenants be made where one or two of the people change their names when they enter into a covenant? The answer, marriage. When you marry someone, most often, the woman takes the last name of the husband, right? So there's name change when a covenant is made. My mom's last name is Renault. That was not the name she was born with, but she met my dad, they came together, they got married, they made a covenant, and now her, name, her last name is Renault, just like mine. So, what's going on with Abraham and Sarah? Which letter of the alphabet got added to their names? It's an H. They both got an H added into their names. Now, why is an H so important? Why does an H matter? it gets added into your name or not. Um, for this, we have to back up a little bit and talk about God's covenant name. Um, in your Bible, you'll often see Lord, the name Lord, written in all uppercase letters, L-O-R-D, all caps, right? And You're like, you know, why? That's kind of strange. Why would they do that? The reason they do that is because that's what's called the tetragrammatron, or Tetragrammaton. I can't remember if there are R in there or not. Tetragrammatron. And th- all this refers to is God's covenant name, Yahweh. In Hebrew, though, the A and the E aren't there. It's just Y-H-W-H. And that is his covenant name, and it would be written in all caps because it's all consonants, so it would be pronounced y Or And As you can see... That H sound is in there twice, and they would say that it, it's so uh, important, it's so valuable to have God's name that, like, the H's were like a sacred sound, so it was like every time you breathe, you're saying God's name, right? Every time you take a breath and exhale, it's like the, like the making God's name sound. It's a sacred sound, okay? It also is Hebrew for I am. So when God talks to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses says, who are you? He says, I am who I am. It's just this verb tense that's like constant. Basically, it means I was, I am, and I will be. Uh, It's like a constant state of being. God's being is not dependent on anything else, because simply he is. It's the Yahweh, the I am. So God, when he makes his covenant with Abram, takes that H sound and he puts an H in Abram's name, so it becomes Abraham. He takes the H and he puts it in Sarai's name, so it becomes Sarah. Okay? God takes part of his name and puts it into their names. Why? Because they've made a covenant. So, uh, when a covenant is made, you put... Part of your name into the other person's name. The, uh, another instance, a famous instance of this in the Bible, which we won't talk about because it's not really a covenant being made is with Jacob. Jacob in Genesis, I want to say 32 or 33, wrestles with God in the wilderness. And afterward he kind of defeats the man and puts him into a submission hold and says, bless me. And, um, there's this weird exchange between this dude that Jacob wrestled with all night long and the man and Jacob. And uh, afterward, the man says, no longer will you be called Jacob, you will be called Israel. Uh, Israel means one who wrestles with God. So El, at the end of Israel, El is another common Ancient Near Eastern word for God. You have Elohim, El Shaddai. Um, This Sumerian term El simply just meant God. It could refer to any God, like whether talking about Yahweh or like in a pagan animistic culture, like the God of the tree, the sun god, the earth god, the water god, you know, it would just be El. So, in other words, God takes part of that name, El, and puts it into Israel's name which is the name that Jacob got his name changed to. Make sense? So there's like a smaller covenant. We won't cover that one. It's not a major biblical covenant, in my opinion. Um, but from that wrestling match came the entire name of God's people, the Israelites. It's named after a wrestling match. Did you know that? Um, so anyway, that's the, the name change part of this covenant. But then we also have the circumcision part. And the circumcision will be the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Then God said to Abraham, uh, 17 verse 9, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Um, Why eight days? Uh, I read an interesting fact recently that on the eighth day is when a baby's body starts producing vitamin K, which is a blood clotting agent, meaning that if you circumcise a baby before the eighth day, he will bleed, and he won't stop bleeding, and it's really dangerous for the baby to be circumcised before then. So you wait till the eighth day, when his blood can clot, to circumcise him. So later, uh, the this theme of circumcision shows up all throughout the Bible. You have, um, I think it's Jeremiah who says, like, um, I don't I don't care about you being circumcised in the flesh. I care about you being circumcised in the heart, you know? So, um, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but I will tell you my favorite circumcision joke. What do you call a cheap circumcision? A (laughs) ripoff. I love that one. Um, Oh, I have a bunch of circumcision jokes. Okay, I'll stop there. Um, So the uh, circumcision. Why is circumcision so important? Later, you have the episode also with David, where he conquers a bunch of the Philistines, and he says that their whole army must be circumcised, and then they all circumcise themselves, and then later David goes and attacks them, and kills them all while they're in pain from their circumcision as adult men, which seems really, really messed up. Um, And it is. And I don't know how I feel about that, but that's for a different time. You have, um, in the New Testament, then, you have Paul and what are called the Judaizers. And Paul has some really harsh things to say to the Judaizers. Judaizers were people who became Christians, and they're Jews, and these Jewish Christians are saying that in order to be a Christian now, the men must be circumcised, and they must follow the Old Testament law, or the Old Covenant law, and they have to... um, you know, follow all of these laws of the Old Covenant in order to be Christians. But that's not how it works, right? You don't, you don't apply Old Covenant actions or signs to a new covenant that gets made which supersedes the previous covenant. Does that make sense? So Judaizers were people who were basically saying, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. Because remember our last time I talked about how these covenants build on each other? They don't exist in a vacuum. All the covenants build on all the previous covenants. But we'll talk about that more when we get to the new covenant. But basically, these Judaizers are saying, you know, this is the covenant with Abraham. How can you possibly be a child of Abraham if you're not, cov- if you're not circumcised? Because that is the sign of being in that covenant. It's kind of a logical argument if you think about it, because if you're a child of Abraham, you're circumcised. It's pretty simple. Paul says, because of this new covenant, this new interaction we have with the Holy Spirit, with God himself, we don't enter into a covenant through fleshly circumcision. We enter into it through faith, and it's through faith in Jesus, Abraham's offspring, that we become inheritors of the blessing of Abraham. Does that make sense? So, Paul also has this crazy line where he says, I wish that these people would go all the way and just emasculate themselves. (laughs) Basically saying, like, they can keep on circumcising. Not only that, they can just chop the whole thing off, so they can't even reproduce, because we don't need them carrying that old covenant baggage into this new covenant of Christianity. So he says, I wish they would just go all the way and emasculate themselves. Pretty harsh language from Paul. He makes it very clear that we don't live under old covenant law. We live under the new covenant, which is grace and faith. He could not be more clear about that. So we have the bloodshed, the sawing in half of the animals. We have the uh, establishment of the covenant, which is super cool. When God passes through those severed animals, this, this cutting through of the covenant. And then we have the blessings and curses, or the vows, that Abraham will be a great nation, and through him, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then finally, we have the sign, which for Abraham and Sarah, personally, was the name change, but for the rest of his offspring, it would be circumcision. Later, uh, because of Jesus and everything he did, we find out that it's better to be circumcised in the heart which is kind of a weird phrase, but it just refers to this posture of acknowledging that you enter into this covenant through faith, faith in what Jesus has done, faith in the blood he shed, instead of having to shed our own blood, circumcise our own flesh, and so on. But that was the sign uh, before Jesus for all Jewish people, for all Jewish males, that they would be circumcised on the eighth day. I think that's it for the Abrahamic covenant. Um, Obviously, Isaac does get born when Abram is 100 years old. So he waits a total of 25 years for that promise to come true. And I don't know about you, but I get impatient if I have to wait like three minutes for my drinks at Starbucks. But um, he waited 25 years for his son. And by the way, how many 100-year-olds do you know who are popping out kids? I don't know of any. But anyway, that's what God does. God chooses the weak and the unexpected things in this world, which is super cool. So that is the covenant with Abraham or Abram or just Abe. I hope it was helpful. And we'll be back next week to talk about, I haven't decided which one I'm going to do next week, but we will talk about one of them. Maybe we'll go back in time and do Adam's. Go back to the Adamic or Edenic covenant. Some people call it the Edenic when they're in the Garden of Eden and the Adamic after they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So that'll be next week. We'll come back. If these are helpful and interesting to you, um, let me know. Send me an email, ethan@ethreno.com or just uh, reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's just at Ethan My name. Pretty simple. Don't forget to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash etherino. That helps us keep doing these podcasts and helps me keep putting blogs out, etc., etc. So um, all that fun stuff. I look forward to hearing back from you, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.